If, um, if you haven't, I think Steve's getting the talks up on the website. Uh, some people were asking me about it the other day. I don't know if you've uh, ever heard this famous saying. Uh, George Santayana, who's a, a Spanish philosopher back in the early 20th century, he said, those who refuse to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. How many of you heard that before? Okay, good. Most of you. A lot of philosophy majors in this church. All right. That's good. Uh, another way you could say that is this. It's really simple. The past is powerful. Our past is powerful. That's what he's saying. And in particularly, our family, the family we grew up in, is powerful. It's a powerful thing. It exerts a powerful influence in our lives. And over the years, people who are, who are wise, they've learned that you have to look back in order to move forward. Now, when a, a lot of people hear that, that just that very idea, there's a, an, an inner resistance that just rises up and goes, I don't really want to do that. Uh, but for the, for the sake of sort of where I'd like to take you today, if you could just take that inner resistance and just shove it back down as far as you can push it and try to listen and, and be open to uh, this talk today because our families impact us for better or worse, right? We, can, we accept that our families, uh, many of us, have, we have wonderful uh, heritage that we've experienced from our families. But we've also experienced a legacy of brokenness. And it went on generations before we were even born. And we're part of that story. It's hard to come to terms with that, I know, but that's true. Secondly, if we are going to follow Jesus, you can't read the New Testament and the Old Testament and not come to terms with the fact that we're going to have to break. We're going to, we're going to have to make effort to break inherited family patterns if we're going to move forward. Because those family patterns just keep, they're the gift that keeps on giving, aren't they? Just like the good things, the strengths that we take for granted in our lives, the, the, the work ethic, uh, positive character qualities, things that, that, that we're, in a sense, standing on the shoulders of our family. Uh, the, the hard work, the heavy lifting they did, we're, we, we are people who are profiting from that. Well, we also profit from their brokenness, and we're going to have to challenge that. Uh, actively. And third, much of our family's influence on our lives is, uh, is unseen. It's, we're unaware of it. And it, as Peter Scazzaro in, in, our, in the series we've been doing, we've, we've drawn a, a lot from his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He just points out how a lot of our lives is like, are like an iceberg. You know, the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is above the water, but most of it is underwater. And the influence of our families is largely underwater. It's, it's, it's below the visible level, but it's there. It's, it's this profound shaping influence and force in our lives. And so a lot of us have already recognized uh, this, you know, how powerful our families are. But I think, in, in my experience being a pastor a long time, is uh, most people just don't know what to do with that. When you recognize it, you go, what do I do with all that? What do I, I mean, I'm grateful for the good, but what about the bad? It, it, it's just 
the inertia of my family is continuing in my life. Well, I want to look at the story of a man named Joseph. And if you have a Bible with you, uh, there are paperback Bibles, like I say every week, under the seats in front of you. And this is going to be an easy one to find because you just start at the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, and you turn to chapter 50. 50. And it's page 39 in these paperback Bibles. This is really a pretty wild story. We're not going to go through the whole story of Joseph except sort of skim through it. But Joseph was one of the big, big, big characters in the Bible. And in the book of Genesis, one-fourth of the book of Genesis, I'm sorry, one-fifth of the book of Genesis is Joseph's story. And so this is the end of his story. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. And I'll give you the background. I'm going to read the text, and I'll give you just a quick background on it. So it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is convenient. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, if you know his story, that's an understatement. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and this is now, listen... These, these next three verses, this could be a summary of the whole Bible. All right? You could summarize the whole Bible in, this, in these three verses. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, I want you to notice in this story, Joseph's brothers were terrified of the past. They had really mistreated Joseph. And now he's the second in charge of Egypt. And he's providing for them, but their dad dies. And they were afraid that when their dad dies, it was sort of like the firewall was going to go down. And Joseph was going to take his vengeance on them because he wasn't doing it just out of respect for his dad. The truth was, they were were afraid of the power of their past, and they they didn't know what to do with it. They had seen it in their family, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. They had seen the power of previous generations And the mess just go on generation after generation after generation in their lives. And they just figured it's going to keep going and it's going to wreck us. It's going to wreck us now and in the future. Who knows what's going to happen? But Joseph knew something they didn't. They both understood the power of family, but they didn't understand God's power and how he can intervene in families. And so they were afraid of the past and Joseph wasn't. Because Joseph had learned to look back in order to go forward. And so they understood, all of them understood the power of family in in a way that sometimes we don't. So some of this may be ABCs for you, but I'm assuming that you you, you grasp this, but I don't want to 
ignore the fact that maybe, you know, you might be confused about this, but, you know, God made families, and he wanted to bless us through every single family who's ever existed. And he created us to be raised in families that would meet every need in our lives. So what kind of needs do we have to to develop normally? Well, we need love. We need to be protected, so we need security. We need understanding, because each of us is unique. We need a sense of purpose and significance, and we need a sense of belonging. We need to be part of something. And when we explain this here at the venue, we, we use a hand and we describe how belonging is the palm, and then it goes love, understanding, security, purpose, and significance. And each of those are absolutely crucial for our development as people and actually for our life because there isn't a day that goes by that you don't need to feel loved that you don't need to feel like you belong somewhere that there isn't a day that goes by that you don't need to feel understood let me tell you something i mean if you're aware of that as adults you have places you have multiple places to go to, to find some of those core longings to be met but when you're a kid you don't The only place that you can get those needs met is your family. And when your family is broken and they didn't get those needs met because their parents didn't get those needs met and their parents didn't get those needs met and their parents didn't get those needs met adequately, we just keep passing on these deficits. And many times each generation will go, I don't want to be as messed up as my family was. I want to improve. And we do. But... We don't always understand what we're even missing. And so when sin enters our families, it just releases destruction. And our families are broken, and then they're shaped, and then they they bequeath violence, and they bequeath uh, ignorance, and they bequeath prejudice, and, and they bequeath all kinds of things that are really destructive. And we learn those things many times in our families. It's not the only place we learn them. Thank you, Diane. But we do pick them up and they shape us. I mean, many of you know this, that, that your family hardwires you for life. It hardwires you for life in good ways and in bad ways. It, our families give us this template for how the world's supposed to work. And again, it goes underground. It becomes this operating system from which we live. So it's below the surface. And in and, and Joseph's story, let me tell you something about his story. His story is, is really pretty wild. Joseph's father was a man named Jacob. And if you've, if you've read the Bible, you've heard Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These were the three Hebrew patriarchs. Abraham was the man that God spoke to and said, I'm going to uh, make you, he was a very old man, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, children, and your children are going to be a blessing to the whole world, in fact, your seed is going to bless the whole world, and Christ came from Abraham's lineage, Jesus Christ came from Abraham's lineage, but God did this miracle in Abraham's life, and then he had one son, I'm sorry, he had two sons, but one of them was named Isaac, He's the second patriarch. And then Isaac had two sons, and Jacob was the younger. 
and he was considered the third patriarch. Well, Jacob had 12 sons from two wives and two concubines. Imagine this household. Pretty interesting little household, right? This is the first big love household. (laughs) Two wives, two concubines, right? So he's not even married to them. He's got 12 kids through him. And Joseph was number 11. So you can imagine how far down the pecking order he was. And uh, he got a lot of noogies, right? He got a lot of, uh, uh, when they were having pillow fights, you know, brothers would hold the pillows up and they wouldn't just hit him. They'd hold the pillow up and they <laughs> wham. Uh, I didn't have brothers or sisters, so I missed all that fun. But Joseph endured it all the way through his life. But in, what, what made his being the 11th child even harder was his father liked him more than all of his brothers and he showed it all the time. So he was the favorite. If you've ever seen that before, you know what happens is it creates all this tension and envy in the family. And his brothers despised him. And so at a, at a, at a certain point, Oh, let me, let me tell you something about the family, Joseph's family, before we get to his experiences. There is this pattern. You can see in there in Joseph's story the pattern of the power of family. Abraham lied all the time. So there's this pattern of lying. Even though Abraham was a man of faith, he was, he was a person who struggled with fear. And several times he lied and he put his wife at risk to spare himself. And his son Isaac lied. And Jacob was a liar and a manipulator. And Joseph's brothers, when they betrayed him and sold him into slavery, they told their dad that Jacob, I mean, that Joseph was killed. Lying, 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 lying. It just kept passing, just kept being passed down. They, all these brothers, uh, there was a pattern of favoritism in the family. Abraham had a favorite. Isaac had a favorite. Jacob had a favorite. Even Joseph, although he, he blunted this problem, this favoritism which causes havoc in families was passed down. It's a very destructive way of, of, of doing family. Uh, you can see this relational alienation. Abraham, his two sons, were alienated for years. They, they hated each other. The tension continues today. Isaac's two sons were alienated. They, they didn't even talk to each other for, for years and years and years and years. Jacob's sons, Joseph was alienated from all of his brothers for almost 15 years. They didn't speak, of course, they, because of what they did to him. Uh, there's this pattern of, of marital chaos. There wasn't any real intimacy and concern and love, the kind that you'd expect between husband and wife in Abraham's family, Isaac's family, Jacob's family. It changed in Joseph's family. But this pattern, you can just see these patterns of brokenness. Do you, you guys see any patterns of brokenness in your families? Alcoholism, drug abuse, health problems, divorce. I mean, all kinds of secrets that maybe weren't even, you, know, you weren't even privy to until you grew up. I was surprised in my family, all the secrets in my family that I didn't learn about until I was in my 50s and 60s. Well, I'm just barely in my 60s. But when I was home last year seeing uh, some cousins, 
I heard stuff I'd never even heard about before. I go, what is this? What is going on? It's like, did, did, was our family a part of the NSA or something? You know, you, you're in a need-to-know basis to, to know all these things. I mean, I, I, have new, I have new cousins that turn up all the time that, you know, aunts had kids and I never knew about it. Nobody knew about it. And that was a reflection of the brokenness of my family. All these secrets. That's not an unhealthy, I mean, that's, that's an unhealthy way to, to operate as a family. But secrets are a big thing. And Joseph experienced this. And so his story, that we, we read the very end of his story there in Genesis 50. Let me just tell you three things that happened to Joseph. So Joseph's dad favored him. And, and there was a time where Joseph's dad sent him to go check on his brothers because they're out watching the herds. Because Jacob was a really rich man. And, I mean, he had massive holdings of, of livestock. And so the sons are out watching and caring for their animals. And he sends Joseph out. And Joseph, he gave Joseph a, a, a multicolored, beautiful robe that kind of set him apart from all the other kids, right? It's like you buy your kids Volkswagen, 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 Cadillac. You know, that's not going to go well with all the Volkswagen driving brothers. So Joseph's walking out to check out on him, and he's wandering around. He's kind of lost, right? And they, the brothers see him far off, and they go, this guy is driving us crazy, you know? Uh, and, and they weren't, they had no qualms about violence. So, so they said, let's just kill him. Let's kill him, right? They actually have a dialogue like this. I'm like, you know, I'm kind of tired of him talking about how great he is, and dad is always treating him well, you know, better than us. Let's just kill him. Won't be a problem anymore. I mean, really, these are, right, these are the 12 tribes of Israel's patriarchs, <laughs> okay? The Bible doesn't gloss over the weirdness of, of God's people. So you look at that and think, wow, kill your brother and just, okay. So one of the brothers goes, no, let's don't do that. That would be wrong. Uh, and so they throw him into a, a dry well. And so psh, hits the bottom of the well. And can you imagine how tra- traumatic that would have been? Your brothers, they don't let you down by a rope. They just grab you by your, you know, your, actually they took his jacket off of him first, his multicolored robe, and they threw him down the well. He's pro- maybe he's naked. Maybe he just has some underwear on. He's, can you imagine being and looking up and yelling and screaming, wondering what's next? Well, they pulled him out of the well and they sold him into slavery to some merchants that were traveling by, some Arab merchants. The Arab merchants took him down to Egypt where he was sold to be a slave in the house of Potiphar who was an official of the king of, he was an important official of the king of Egypt, of Pharaoh. And while he was there, he just experienced all these hardships, but God's favor was with him. He ended up in prison. We won't go into the whole story. He was falsely accused of something. And he was thrown into prison, and he was there for years and years and years, and he was just forgotten. And then, miraculously, because God's hand was on him, he goes from a slave in prison to the right hand of Pharaoh, and he's in charge of everything. It's a pretty amazing story. And you look at this man's life, and you go, how... When, then, then when his brothers come to this point where they're all afraid because of all the evil they've done to him, how he's going to treat them. 
He shows them this kindness. And, and, and it's genuine. It's not ginned up. It's, he's not white-knuckling it. He loves them. Something, something happened inside him that freed him from all the mess that, that he went through. And so his brothers didn't, they couldn't even conceive of what that could be. Because all they knew in their family was, my family for generations has been messed up. I'm messed up, and I'm going to pass my messed up heritage on to my kids. But Joseph seemed to be able to escape this cycle. What did he do? Now, this is one of the reasons why the book of Genesis highlights his life. Because he's a pattern. He's a pattern of something. And, and for the sake of a, a lot we could learn from Joseph, we're just look at one thing. He looked back... So he could move forward. He did something that's very hard to do, which is look back and, and face the past so he could move forward in his life. So his family left him in this messed up situation like our families do. And he was raised in the same way as his brothers were. They, were, they had messed up views about money and sex and success and relationships and emotion and anger and other races and all kinds of things. I mean, just all across their lives, they were confused. Even though they were people of faith, even though they had a genuine faith, which is, this is the strangest part about this is, we can have a very genuine faith and a relationship with God but there can be huge parts of our lives that are not touched. That, that God's grace doesn't penetrate into those parts of our lives. And it shows. It showed in their lives. Joseph's brothers and a lot of other people in the Old Testament were considered people of great faith. But you can see there were holes in their lives. And there's lots of reasons for that. But what I want to show you just real briefly. I'm going to go back and read this passage again and show you something. Joseph found freedom from his past. And these six verses that we read here, seven verses, they, they, they contain these seeds of, of insight about what Joseph did that allowed him to be freed from the power of his past so that he could move forward and, and not be controlled by it, not be wrecked by it like his family was. And the cool thing is, the change that happened in his life because his relationship with his brothers was restored, you started seeing a change in their lives. That whatever was happening to him became, in a sense, spiritually contagious with them. And his influence in their life started changing them. So let me read the passage again. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Because that's what people do. So they, went, so they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brother's sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him and said, We are slaves. And he said, Don't be afraid. Because he saw the fear. He saw their fear. And, and he was just broken by that because he didn't have any anger in his life towards him anymore. 
And it says he wept. He wept at, at, at where they were at and the fear that they were living in. And he said, uh, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And they stayed with him and they prospered. And, and God blessed them because God was with them. But what he said, there are four things that Joseph understood that they didn't. Joseph said, you guys meant this sending me into slavery for evil, but God meant it for good. And what that, that little sentence reflects is something that we, ha- we have to, we're always challenged to get a hold of this. We have to understand that God really is in control. He is bigger than the mess around us. He's bigger than the mess in our lives. He's bigger than the economy. He's bigger than nations. And I mean, most of us aren't, you know, worried about those things. We're just worried about the pressures and stresses of our lives. And we just feel like we're little pawns in this game of chess. And powers, all kinds of power around us just moves us wherever we want. Well, Joseph understood, if you read his story, which starts in Genesis 37 and ends in chapter 50, he had this incredible trust in God that God was bigger than everything that he was facing. And that everywhere he was, that no matter who they thought was in control, God was in control there. And you hear this story, I mean, you hear in the story of Joseph, it says, Joseph was working for Potter, Potiphar, and the Lord was with him. So people meant it for evil, that he would be a slave, but God was still with him. And he hung on to that. And he said, God is with me. And the God of my fathers has power over everything. That's what I've learned and, and, and their basic sort of rudimentary faith that they had, they understood that. That God was good. Like, like Jay said, God is good. God's good all the time. Joseph got that. But he's not just good. He's big and good. And he is for us. He's for everybody that he's made. And so Joseph got that. And so in a sense, he said, you didn't send me here. God sent me. God was overruling your evil actions and he was going to make something good out of it. Now, you may look at that and go, how do I do that in my circumstances? How do I, when I feel like I'm just a, a, a pawn in between the powers of, of life that run the world and run my life, you just, you can't feel, you can't, see yourself any differently than Joseph did. He was a slave with no say at all. And yet he was able to see that God was the one that was in control, even if it didn't always look like it. And he knew that in the end, no matter how the eddies of life flow, God is going to take him where he wants him to go. If, if you hold on to that, that truth and that promise. Secondly, Joseph felt and he faced the losses of his past. If you read his story, there are a number of moments where he is interacting with his brothers where he just, he's so overcome by his emotions in a moment of conversation that he'll leave and he'll just go weep. 
Now, we all know big boys don't cry, right? I was taught that. And a lot of us were taught that. And a lot of us, some of us were even taught that women don't cry. Uh, or, or we've said to ourselves, don't cry. You know, don't be vulnerable. Don't have those feelings. But Joseph faced his pain and his losses. And what, what cost him? And he, and, he, and he grieved those things openly. And it's really important for us to learn to do that. But I've had plenty of people tell me, John, I haven't cried since I was X years old, back as a child. That's not normal. I mean, do you, do you know that? That's not normal? That, that crying is a healthy thing? That, that crying is something that we're supposed to be able to do? Not just about other people. Do you understand? Some of us feel like, well, I, I can cry for other people, but I don't cry for myself. You should be able to cry for yourself. That, that means you're connected to other people, but you're maybe not connected to your own heart. And you're supposed to be able to feel what's going on inside you. Jesus wept for other people. Jesus wept for his own pain. This is, this is emotional health, is, is to be able to feel in all the directions that we should feel. Now, it... Joseph lived, the third thing Joseph did is he lived this grace-defined identity. His, his earlier life was characterized by this moment where he had a dream and God gave him a sense of his own identity at that point. Now, that dream and that identity fit in with his family history, the blessing that God meant for his family to be. And so when he was in circumstance, and that, that dream, if you don't know what it is, he saw himself standing up and people bowing down before him. That he was going to be in some position of authority. And at first he saw his brothers bowing down before him, which when he told all them that dream, they were excited at that moment. I'm sure you can imagine, you know. They weren't. They, weren't un, they were not very happy about that. That was another nail in his coffin. And then he, told, he had another dream, and his brothers and his mom and dad were nailing down, kneeling down before him. And, he, and, and his dad thought, that's kind of strange. But all that eventually happened. But what Joseph knew was he was going to have a certain role in his life that God had bequeathed him as a gift. He knew who he was. And despite the circumstances that said he's a slave, he knew that's not what God had called him to be. And he hung on to that. And despite the circumstances and what they tried to say about him, like, you're worthless, Joseph. Nobody likes you. God doesn't like you. All those messages, he resisted every one of them. And if you read his story... If you read the story of Joseph in there, he is one of the only characters in the Bible that you never see described as having any kind of a moral flaw. He never sins in his story, despite being put in the worst possible circumstances. He's in, he's in the, the jail, the prison, and two of Pharaoh's officials come in to the prison, and they've been, the Pharaoh gets upset at them and throws them in prison. And so Joseph's taking care of them. And Joseph goes over to them and says, cheer up, guys. Right? 
And I'm thinking, Joseph, you're a slave in prison and you're encouraging people? Where do you get that kind of heart from? He had this identity. He knew who he was. And even if the circumstances didn't show it, he had that. He owned it. Do you live out of a grace-formed identity? Or do your circumstances define who you are? Your, your place in the pecking order of your family, your place where you work, your place in your neighborhood, your place racially, socially, educationally. All around us, the world tries to define us. It, it was trying to define Joseph. Joseph couldn't be put in a worse possible situation. He was at the lowest rung on the ladder. But yet, he had this grace-given identity that he held on to, and it steadied him, and it, and it changed the course of his life. Do you have something like that? And, if, and if, if you don't have it, do you have any idea that you can have that, that, it, that it's available to you? The fourth thing was, and this is the hardest thing, and this, the, all four of these things are in this little passage. Joseph partnered with God to be a blessing to other people. See, that was, that was the legacy of his family, the good legacy of his family that he held on to. Because God came to Abraham, and I'll, I'll read the passage. God came to Abraham and told him back in Genesis 12. God said to Abraham, leave your country, the people, your people and your father's household, and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham and his family understood, and everybody who is a person of faith, this is our destiny and our calling. We are blessed to become a blessing. We are blessed. God has graciously given us stuff that we don't deserve, but it's not just for us. It's to be passed on. And so in your life, is profound blessing for other people. Joseph grasped that. And so when he got to this position of privilege, he just was generous. He blessed other people because he realized, I went from the bottom of the barrel to the top, not because of anything other than God's blessing, God's goodness. Because see, this, this whole thing starts off with God's goodness. And it says, no matter how messed up the world is, if you hold on to the fact that God's in charge and he's good, and you grieve your losses and you stand on, who your, on your identity that he's given you, and then you choose to be a blessing, you will not be corrupted. You will break the power of these inherited family patterns because look at Joseph's life. Remember what I told you? His family had a pattern of lying. You read the story of Joseph. He was a man of incredible truthfulness. His family had a pattern of alienation between siblings and family. Joseph broke that pattern and he was reconciled to his brothers and he loved them. He could have perpetuated that. You understand? He could have lied. He could have perpetuated this alienation, he could have made their lives miserable beyond their imagination. But he didn't. He made it better. Third, there's another thing. Uh, he didn't show favoritism. 
He cared about each of them. He blessed every one of them. And fourth, he broke the pattern of this marital mess. He had one wife. He had two sons. And you don't see him doing all the craziness that his his father and grandfather and great-grandfather did. He broke it. It can be broken. Now I want to ask you just for a second. I just named four patterns of brokenness in Joseph's family. I want you just to think for a second of patterns of brokenness in your family. Think of things that, that have gone on for generations in your family. Out of wedlock births. Divorce. Violence. You know, racial hatred. Messed up, mental health issues. Broken relationships. Financial messes. And just think of our family tree. Think of yours. How many of those are still going on in your life? Joseph would have been no different than his brothers or than us if it weren't for the grace of God. And Joseph isn't just a model of an inspirational model. So if we just learn to trust God and we learn to express our feelings and, you know, appropriately and we hold on to our identity and we learn to be a blessing that it'll all, we'll all live happily ever after. He is that and that's true. But Joseph, and we're going we're to take communion here in just a second. Joseph was also a picture of Jesus. Because the, the life of Joseph just perfectly mirrors the life of Christ. And in, in fact, it's, it's, it's profound how much the arc of Joseph's life and the details of it perfectly match Jesus' life. Joseph was sent by his father to go to his brothers. And his brothers then rejected him and betrayed him, and in a sense killed him, because his life was over. He lost everything. But God was with him, and God raised him, Joseph, out of the pit of prison to the place of highest prominence in Egypt, exactly like Jesus. God the Father sent Jesus into the world, and his brothers rejected him and betrayed him and had him crucified. And he was buried. He lost everything, but he was raised from the dead. And I'll read that where Paul describes this in Philippians. This is, and there, there was power that was released in Joseph's life that models in a small way, in a tiny way, the power that was released through the life of Jesus. So when Joseph's brothers came to him and knelt before him, he didn't, they wanted to be his slaves, but he said, no, you're my brothers. I went through this for you. I didn't go through this so you'd be slaves. I went through this so you would be my brothers. So we would be a family. And Jesus went through what he went through, the exact same thing, not so we could be slaves, but so we could be family. 
So we could be God's family. A, a, a family that, that has a different heritage and, a, and, a, and a, a different lineage so we can go a different direction. But to do that, we have to embrace what it means to follow Jesus and walk with Him. It's this thing called discipleship where there are challenges that we're going to face that we have to overcome only by the grace of God. We can't do it in our own strength or willpower. Here's what Paul said in Philippians. He said that Jesus was in the very nature of God, but he didn't consider equality with God. And think about how this parallels, in a sense, Joseph's life. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, like Joseph's name was, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so what... The, what the Lord's Supper does, it, it tells us this. It just tells us the same story, right? We're going we're gonna to close with the Lord's Supper, but I want to invite you to take heart for a second about what the Lord might be saying to you. The Lord's Supper tells that story again. It tells the story of Joseph, which tells the story of Jesus. But it's just, like I say, every time we take the Lord's Supper, it's an invitation. It's an invitation from God. He's saying, I want to break the power. I want to begin to break because it's a process. I want to begin to break the power of these patterns in your life and in your children's lives and your children's children's children. They're going to go on forever unless some power that's greater than you have breaks into your life and takes you a different direction. Because we are defined by our blood. We're defined by our bloodlines. There is no doubt. Every one of us in this room have parents. Every one of us carry their qualities, you know, physically and and spiritually and otherwise. And we've added to it, but then many of us have married and we have kids. We still see these patterns going on. So Jesus came in, just like Joseph came into their lives by God's plan to break the patterns of that family. Jesus came to break the patterns not just of that family, but of every family. He's the only one. He is our champion. He's the one we're supposed to look to. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we're hearing the gospel proclaimed, but we're seeing power. Jesus died for a reason. When we put our trust in Him, the power of what kills us and destroys us is broken because He took our place. And then the new possibilities of life are released in us. He was raised from the dead. And He sits at God's right hand. He will redefine us if we will keep following Him and coming to Him. But it takes courage to face the past. It takes courage to look at the patterns and say, these things are horrific. 
They, they are defining my life and my family, and they're going to keep defining it until I stand up and say no more. And it's, it's not a once and for all no more. It's a today I'm aware of it. With God's help, I'm saying no more. I'm drawing the line in the sand here. And Jesus, I'm coming to you, and I'm going to bear my brokenness and bring it to you and I'm going to ask for your grace to come into this broken part of my life and begin to help me to make the changes that, that you have for me. Their brother was the picture of what they could become, what they were meant to be. Jesus is the picture of what God wants us to be. Each of you. So we're going to, after you take communion, we're going to have... A prayer team people, you know, small group leaders, folks in our church just standing up front. What I want to ask you to do is, and it, this is a big step probably for, for a number of you, is if the Lord's brought to mind a, a particular pattern in your family that's present in your life, I want to encourage you after you take the Lord's Supper, you're coming here to say, Lord, I'm, I'm taking a step forward. I want to see this area of my life that you're putting your finger on today I want to begin to see change in that area. And I believe you'll begin to give me wisdom about what I'm supposed to do about that. You don't have to have it all mapped out or figured out now. Joseph never did. He just was obedient day in and day out. And he, and he followed God's will in his life. And things sorted out. And you can see the result in his life. So it's like being a Christian is like my mom used to tell me. When she'd make angel food cake, I love angel food cake. I still love angel food cake, man. I just, just my face in it. My mom would put it in the oven, and she would say, now don't watch that cake, John. It'll take a long time, you know. And you're going to keep opening the door and closing the door, and it's going to fall, and it's ruined. But I'm telling you, man, I, I would just look at that cake because I couldn't wait. But it... I learned after doing that a couple of times and ruining the cake, and my mom said, I'm not making another one today, John. You've blown it, you know. Two or three times of that, and I realized I put my hands on the handles of the oven, and I just go, no, don't do it. <laughs> You're going to be tempted to think that this Christian thing is magic. And you're going to look at your life and go, it hasn't all changed today. But you can't do that. You can't watch the cake of your life that way. You have to watch Jesus. You have to focus on Jesus. Like all the songs are about, you know, they're all about Jesus today. I mean, churches have this thing about Jesus. <laughs> because he's the one we're supposed to fix our eyes on. We're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to call out to God in his name. That's where change comes from. It's this slow, steady walk of following him. And all of a sudden... We, we, we look at the cake of our lives and it's different. It's noticeably different. But there's these painful moments. And when you come up here to pray, it's going to be hard for you to say, I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. Because you're talking to someone maybe you don't know very well. You, you, you know, you recognize their face. Maybe you know them fairly well. Even if they're your best friend, it's still hard to say what you're struggling with, isn't it? But this table tells us we're all struggling with stuff. That's why we're coming here. That Jesus welcomes us right where we are. And his, he offers us power, love, 
Like those, those core longings that you hunger for, the messes in your life are all about, I didn't get enough love. I didn't get enough security. I didn't get enough understanding. I didn't get purpose and significance and belonging. And you feel the pain of that now, and it's playing out in broken patterns in your life. So the answer is getting those. You get them from Jesus. He won't ever say no. He won't ever make you feel bad because you need those things. He, he delights like the brothers. Joseph's brothers, they fell down before him. Make us your slaves. He goes, I don't want to be slaves. 